Well, welcome, and if you join us online, we want to welcome you as well uh, to Willow Park Church. What a weekend we had last weekend. Wasn't that fantastic? Uh, just close to 7,000 people came through Living Nativity, so that was great. And um, it was, it was well, I've got better news than that. Uh, two and a half thousand Gospels of John were given out. So, um, so that, was, that was great, and it was wonderful. And even a Joseph, who we called up on the stage, gave his life to Jesus and uh, got saved. So um, uh, that was a great weekend, and we really did through our prayer event, Willow One Prayer, really pushed in and really prayed for changed lives. 577 prayer requests were put in. So, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. A lot about what God is doing and the way God is working. Well, we're on actually, I'm going to do something a little amazing here. I'm going to preach about the ninth commandment, but I'm going to preach about the ninth commandment out of uh, the story of the nativity. You see that? It's just one of those times. Now, there is a lie right in the center of the story of the, of the nativity. And many of you will know it because you are theologically amazing. You will know that there is a certain king who says a certain thing, who makes a lie and makes a statement. But what we are going to look at and what we're going to think about really is this statement, my words affect my neighbor. And if you can take anything away from our time together, I want you to really understand this, that the ninth commandment and what Herod the king goes on to do when we look at the text is our words affect our neighbor. In other words, what we speak, the way we speak affects people around us in our lives. So let me just explain a little bit about my own journey here. Because what we're really talking about is the tongue. And the ninth commandment deals with the power of this little thing called the tongue that is so powerful and so amazing. I realized pretty soon, an actual uh, saying amazed me and it made me understand something which has kind of guided my heart. It was a little quote that I once saw and I wish I could say that it was a quote by Luther or a quote by Calvin. If you're not a Christian, you don't understand those names. Those are great spiritual giants in the history of the church. No, it was a little quote by um, Mark Twain that says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. I thought that was brilliant when I saw that. I saw that one day. Now, I don't agree with everything Mark Twain wrote, by the way. I mean, he was naughty at times. And and the things he said were not always good. But that's absolute brilliance. If I tell the truth all the time, then I don't have to remember anything. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's exactly the way that we should live our lives. We should 
tell the truth. And if we tell the truth or we respond in a truthful way, then we don't get those emotions, which I discovered as a young man. I kind of had at times, I don't know about you, those emotions that kind of, uh, when you get involved in conversations and the conversations go too far and you know that you shouldn't have said that and maybe you elaborated in this area or over embellished or maybe you quoted somebody in this conversation and the only reason you quoted them in this conversation was to make yourself look really good? Does this ring any bells with you? Or am I the only sinful person here? Now, I know that the power of the tongue. Now, this commandment is really to do with, what's to do with law? It's to do with a court scene. It's to do with the idea that actually society falls to pieces when we lie. When you go to a a court and when you stand and accuse, if people choose to lie, then it wrecks society. And this ninth commandment clearly is based with that idea that actually a society that is built upon false testimony is a society that is going to crumble and a society that's going to fall to pieces. But... But this affects our own ourselves as well, doesn't it? It affects the way we approach our life, my life. It affects me because I've got to decide what to do with my tongue and how I decide to use my tongue. You see, we can't underestimate the power of the spoken word and we can't underestimate the power of the tongue and the things that we say. In fact, the whole Hebrew literature was given over to idea about the evil tongue and the power of the evil tongue and how the evil tongue can be at work. We know that from Proverbs, when you look through Proverbs and we know this through many other Hebrew writings that aren't in the Bible that there was this great debate in Hebrew writing about the fact that the tongue can be a real blessing and it also can be a real curse and can be poisonous and can bring death to people. We have to decide. I guess I have to decide. The kind of way I'm going to speak, the way I'm going to act, the way I'm going to be, I've got to decide in my life. When I look at my own life, I can see numerous moments where I was, you know, if you knew me as a little boy, you'd know me that I was a little chatterbox. In fact, you couldn't shut me up. I call that my kind of first stage in life. I'd just talk and talk and talk and talk, smile and talk. I won't come up for breath. I was like a stick with a mouth on the end. And you'd shake me. And you might be thinking that you haven't really changed, Phil. And so... So I remember that, and really, I was just talkative. But when I entered my teenage years, the truth is, I wasn't a big guy. The truth is, I hung around with tough, other tough guys, but I wasn't big, I wasn't tough, I wasn't hard. And the way that I could make my mark before I was a Christian was by using my language and my humor, and I could humiliate people, and I could swear like nothing in this world. I could just swear, and all my... My friends used to laugh and I used to get myself into trouble but then I would be the joker and then then if somebody kind of was being aggressive towards me I'd make them look small through the use of my tongue maybe you met somebody like that at school I'm not proud of that but I learned to use foul language as a weapon against other people 
I became a Christian though. And at that point, I learned something off some Christians. And I learned to speak, although probably 80, 85% of the way that I spoke was fine. I learned off some Christians that actually you could be quite cutting, quite judgmental, quite condemning, quite black and white in a way that could hurt people. And you could use your tongue to really inflict some good spiritual damage on people. I confess. I think in my life, as I look back, there may have been moments, and you may not be a Christian here, and that may surprise you, that some Christians can fall into a bad habit of being judgmental and hurtful through the way that they speak. How many of you have experienced that kind of moment? You don't have to put your hands up. And then later on, when I was doing my degree, and I was in my 20s, my tongue was kind of used more like, you know, I would become, try and be intelligent, sarcastic, full of cynicism, question everything. I don't know how you use the way you speak. But what I realized very quickly and what I want you to understand is that my words affect my neighbor. And the way I speak affects my neighbor. And it took God to come and sort me out. It took God to come. Now, it wasn't like my, my little, um, I say little, he's massive now, my brother-in-law, who when he was about seven had a foul mouth and grandma came to stay. And what did grandma do when he heard him swear? Take a soap and put it in his mouth. Has that happened to anybody here? Yes, one or two of you. Wow, actually true. He was so rebellious that it was in his mouth, he then swore and threw up on the carpet. I don't think that was the idea. But God didn't touch me with a great soap in the sky and come down. Because you know that when somebody does that to you, it just may make you taste differently, but it doesn't change your heart. I guess there's a little moment in scripture that I experienced was then a burning coal like the prophet Isaiah came and touched my lips and the purity of God touched my mouth and that changed my heart. And sometimes what I discovered from my own journey with the tongue, as we think about this, is that it's not somebody else washing my mouth out with soap. It's the glory of the burning God touching your lips and changing the way that you speak like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. But maybe if you're not a Christian, you understand that actually... Lying and speaking in this negative way also gets you into problems because Christians are asked to be very different. And that's my experience. I've experienced that. But we've all experienced the power of lies in our lives. We all know. We've all met people who have decided to lie. And the reason they have lied is because they can gain something through that for themselves. We may have met them in our families. We may have met them in the business. We may have met them on the, on, when we're out working. We, we've experienced the moment when somebody uses lying to gain in their lives. I've had some terrible examples of this pastorally. When I've seen people lie in a dreadful way. Often people, the reason people lie is because of, of selfishness. That they want to get their own way. 
Sometimes people lie, and you may have seen this, because of embarrassment, because they feel embarrassed. Or sometimes people lie very clearly because they're lying because they are committing a crime. Lining business, lying about a product that has been sold, lying about a, uh, a particular aspect of something that is completely untrue and it's called fraud. And we see this in our world. We see it in our, our society. We see that people have fraud. There are those that lie because they want to make themselves look good in front of other people. They want to look good. They want to to impress. They want to make themselves look amazing. There are people that lie. Why? Because they use their tongue to flatter other people. They don't really mean it. They're not really doing it because they mean that flattery. But they find that if they flatter people, they get farther and they get what they want. Often we see lies in rumors that go around communities and the power of gossip. I think for all of us, we We've experienced the power of lies in our lives. We look at people when they come to a house or they're going to do a job for us and we wonder, is that person a trustworthy person? I know this in England because we have whole trades that people often talk about that go, can I really trust that trade, that profession? Yes. You know, I have to mention some professions and you go, oh, yes. You know. Used car salesmen. Can I trust them? True? Sorry, Steve Enns. And, and if you do do that, you know, in England, we have this big debate about plumbers. Can I really trust the plumber that turns up? Now, I'm completely plumbing illiterate. I look at the boiler. I have really no idea what's going on apart from this gas coming out. And I am so scared that when a plumber comes round, an English plumber, because I know that all Canadian plumbers are blessed by God and honest. But you come round and they look at you and you go, oh, yeah, I don't know. Mm, there's this. And they go, oh, it's going to be, you know, it's never more than you know, it's going to be 500 pounds. And you think, are you telling me the truth? Or does that little part cost little $5? And really, you're just, you're just a license to print money because I haven't got a clue what you are talking about. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. I once had a conservatory built on the back of a house in England. Salesman, builder came round, sold it me. He was quite outgoing. He was quite gregarious. I believed him. He built and they built the conservatory, but they failed to get the plumbing right. And then one day the whole of my kitchen flooded because of the way that they built the conservatory. I tell you, that got me mad. I was on the phone. Steam was coming out of my ears. Yes, you've experienced this. And I felt he could have been lying to me, saying, no, it's not my fault. It was this guy. No, it was this. I was feeling the frustration of this moment. And I had to leave it. I had to forgive him. I had to get the jackhammer out. I had to solve it myself. But it made me very wary. But this is a true story. Of course, all my stories are true. Then I saw him on the X Factor. 
Not only had I felt that he had affected me, but he appeared on the British X Factor, the guy that built my conservatory, and I had to watch him for weeks as he was going through. I've got a photograph of him. That is the man that built my conservatory. And I know what you're thinking. You are thinking, you let that man build your conservatory. You deserve that. And that's not nice. I better take him off before I get sued. But we resolved it and, um, and I mended it. But, it, it. but we all, we have all experienced lies. We've all experienced deceit. Whether you're Christian or not, whether you're on the edge of Christianity, the things I've described you are familiar with, with human nature. But what about God. Can I tell you something about God? Is that God's character is one at the very heart of who God is, is God's character is truth. He is truth. At the center of who God's character is, he is truth. He is there. He loves us. He speaks to us. He is magnificent. And at the very heart of God's character, there is no lie. There is only truth. At the heart of who God is, let me tell you something. There is goodness, not evil in the heart of God. At the very heart of who God is, there is no darkness. There is light. There is truth, not lies. God is truth. And when we allow God's character to start to change our character, it affects the way we speak and it affects our truthfulness because his character changes who we are. So let's think about this. Matthew chapter 2. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, now King Herod had been on the throne for quite a while, okay? He's a miserable old man. I, I, I don't know if you've ever met somebody like this. Really wealthy, beholden to others. But you know, there's a part of him that is dark and clearly a part of him that is evil. And he's holding on to his little kingdom there. And from the east came, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What amazing words. They've seen something incredible going on and they know what it means and they've come to worship him. I love the simplicity I love the seeking. I love the heart of these men. And King Herod heard this and he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. I've always wondered about that verse. Why is all of Jerusalem disturbed with him? Well, maybe they thought if King Herod gets upset, we're all going to be in trouble. Have you met somebody like that? That you know, things don't go wrong. They're powerful individuals. They have quite a lot of substance behind them. They have a lot of money. But when they get upset, the rest of us get upset. 
And the whole of Jerusalem are like going, what's going on? The last thing we want is a new king. The old king's bad enough. There's going to be problems with the Romans. It's all going to be terrible. And they're feeling disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And they answered, they knew it. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd shepherd my people Israel. Words written... Hundreds of years before this moment, prophesied and spoken in the Bible. And maybe you're not a Christian, but let me just say this to you. What you don't realize is that the Bible is, is put together by numerous authors in Inspired by the presence and the power of God, it fits together and its prophetic accuracy is incredible. And right here in this verse, you've got that moment. Hundreds of years earlier, they said something amazing is going to happen in that small town of Bethlehem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. You notice that word secretly. See, people who are deceptive and use their tongue to destroy others, love secret conversations. And can I encourage you that if you find yourself in Starbucks and suddenly you're in a one-on-one secret conversation, be aware of the secret conversation of being invited in because there's a a spiritual principle that I'm going to unpack with you that's at work. So he called them secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, here's the lie. Here's the breaking of the ninth commandment by King Herod. Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. No. No. This is a bare-faced lie that appears in Scripture of a man who has a twisted heart that wants to hold on to his throne and he will say absolutely anything to hold on to his position. See, what does Herod want to do? What do we learn from this lie in this situation? Well, what we learn from this lie, first of all, is that Herod wants to stop what God is about to do. That's what he wants to do. Because he knows that if a Messiah, a king, has been born in Bethlehem, tick box, tick box, he's a king, he doesn't want to lose his power, and he wants to stop what God is about to do. Now, come on, Herod, you should have known better. 
You're a Jewish king. You know the Torah. You know the commandments backwards. Come on, you should know a lot better than this. You should know better because you know that a great time will come for Israel, that a great Messiah will come, that its glory will be given back again. Come on, Herod. Come on. Don't you realize that this doesn't just challenge your position of power, but this is the best news ever, that there might be the Messiah, a little baby, has a right, but he's so twisted and so full of lies that all he can think about is himself. And he'll go down in history as the one that orders the death of every two-year-old and under as Herod, the one creating genocide. But you see, you've got to understand the heart of the man. He was more interested in his position than he was in the welfare of his nation or he was in the welfare of what God could do. So he set his sights. What was he setting his sights on here? Well, he was setting his sights in this verse on killing truth. Killing truth. He wants to kill truth. And not only does he want to kill truth by killing the Messiah, he actually shows the highest level of hypocrisy here in the scriptures that is overwhelming. And he just is blatant and ridiculous in his hypocrisy, in his spiritual hypocrisy. What does he say? Come and tell me when you find him and I too will go and worship. He wants to stop what God's doing. He he should know better. And then he's a hypocrite. He's a lying hypocrite who says, I'll come and worship because I want to be a worshiper. Now imagine for a moment that he'd got his way. Imagine for a moment, and it's hard for us knowing the story. It's hard for us knowing God's sovereignty. But imagine for a moment that he decided that they came back and told him and that he was going to act upon that, the devastating results of the lie to the Magi would have been horrific because it would have devastated all the plans and the glorious gift and all that God has. What does this teach us about lying, about us, about you and me? What do we dare learn from Herod and his life? Well, you, me, we have to be so very careful that lies around us do not steal from us the destiny and the purposes of God in our life. You see, lies that are told, lies that we believe, lies that affect our lives, lies that come to us, the power of the lie can do one of two things. Well, the first thing it can do, it can confuse us. And the second thing, a good place lie in the right place in our heart can rob us of our God-given destiny for the way that God wants to work in our lives. And I talk to people all the time and I chat to them. And after a while, I realize that actually... 
there is a lie at the heart of the problem they're facing and they've believed a lie and that lie has robbed them from their destiny and what God has for them and the plans for the future for God to work because deep down in their lives somewhere they've believed a lie and that lie has stopped them from enjoying all that God has for them. Have you met people like that? Maybe you're like that. Maybe there's a lie in your life that holds you back, that stops the power of truth, that beautiful baby exploding in your life and making a difference. You and I learn from this very clearly. Actually, that, that we must never allow ourselves to become hypocritical in our worship. The worst lie, I think, and if you're not a Christian, you let off the hook here. Come here, enjoy it, enjoy the worship, sing the songs, you know, that's okay. But if you're a Christian and you come here with always a looking eye and not looking on God, or you come and your, your mind is somewhere else, and there is a danger that we ourselves can become hypocritical and say, I come to serve Jesus and worship him alone, and yet there's half a dozen other reasons why you are engaging, and it's not that God is primarily number one in your life to worship. So we have to be honest about ourselves. Oh, I'll come and worship him. Don't lose the heart of worship because when you become a true worshiper, somehow when you're worshiping, all lies have to disappear. And we understand this. We see this in this situation. So, so you... And I have a choice. We have a choice to engage lies, believe lies. We have a choice in our life. And, and, and the Lord taught us this, didn't he? He taught us in, in John 3, in verse 20, he says, Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What the Lord encourages us to do is to live in the light of his truth. And you and I must seek to live in the light of his truth. Uh, Jesus went on to explain that actually what defiles a person is not what goes into their body, Matthew chapter 15, Not what goes into his body, but actually what defiles a person is this, is is what is inside of them and what is spoken out. Because my words affect my neighbor, and when I speak poison about my neighbor, it affects them because my words come from my heart, and if my heart explodes, as Jesus says, Jesus' words, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what is it? It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And lying is part of that, of course. He continues, for our, 
Out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what is unwashed with hands does not defile them. In other words, it's what you've learned to do with who you are inside and what comes out of your mouth that can defile who you are. Well, for us who are Christians, this is quite heavy, isn't it? It's, I've got to be careful about the way I speak about others. It, it really hits home. I've got to be willing to, to speak differently. I can't allow myself. See, do you remember Miriam in Numbers chapter 12 who spoke badly about Moses and spoke not just badly but in an evil way? What happened to Miriam? She received leprosy. And in Jewish and Christian writing, there's a sense here that when we allow our mouths to become full of falseness and full of lying, and we allow the heart of of Herod to affect us, it's as if we have a leprosy of the inner person. We have a leprosy of within us. That actually there comes a a corruption and a disease that can be created by the things that we say and the evil we speak and and the things we engage in. And that's why it's so important that we learn to bring our tongue under control and we realize the power of the ninth commandment because lying directly affects our neighbor and is a sin against our neighbor. What does this mean for us? For all of us? Well, it means... That the way we conduct ourselves in community is very, very important to God. It means, and it's hard, I know. It means that, that our, like Herod, his position, his power, his standing, what he holds on to, his His little kingdom, he wanted to be king of his little kingdom. And it's a pathetic little kingdom because he was ruled by the Romans anyway. And often we want to hold on to our, dare I say it, our little pathetic little kingdoms rather than bowing our knee to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are king of my life. You are king of my heart and you are king of my tongue. Wow. So, what do we do from all of this? What's the takeaway truth? If you can take one thing away from now until Christmas Eve, because you've got relatives coming, and we know how we all love to get on with our relatives. I moved 6,000 miles away. And we, it's going to be a very challenging time for us. Friends, family, relatives, we are so close to some of our family members that we'd speak to them in a way that we'd never speak to any other individual. That's why a good bit of advice, never work for your father. Just a bit of advice, because fathers will say things to the sons they could never say to any other employee, unless, of course, they're glory. Of course, it doesn't quite work with Jesus, does it? Um, Father, son, anyway. But he was perfect. So... 
take this away. That, 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 that the words that you speak affect people around you. So this Christmas season, decide to speak well of all and give people the benefit of the doubt and bless them. Choose to do that. Choose to speak well. We must decide whether we want to be a people who take information or gossip. And of course, this, this teaching leads to gossip. Gossip. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? We love gossip as human beings. Why? Because we love, we love to hear things that we like about people we dislike. Have you got that? Oh, we love gossip. Because we like to hear things, oh, tasty, juicy, wonderful things about, about people we dislike. That's the power of gossip. That's the power of the way we speak. That's the power. And you may not even be a Christian, but you know that's true. Because you hear the conversations in the office. You hear what's spoken in situations. You know that you may not even believe in Jesus and you've wandered in here tonight and you're wondering all about this stuff. But you know that that is true. That if you can stay away from gossip, but we love the gossip about the people we don't like. And the challenge is, is to reverse that and to love the people we don't like and bless them in the name of Jesus with the way that we speak. Why? Well, we must resist lying. First of all, because without, when we lie, there is no chance for true justice in Scripture. Herod lied. There was no justice in his kingdom. There was no justice about this ancient king, his family line. They were just puppets. And when there is lying, there's no law. And law is very important to God because he knows that we need protecting. Laws are important. But when we lie, also what happens is that lying affects our relationships with other people. True? It affects our marriages. It affects our business partners. It affects trust. And finally, lying puts us into slavery. Lies wrap us up and put us into slavery. And I wonder, in our own lives and our own walk, what may be a lie in your own heart you've believed about yourself which has put you in slavery and it's time for Jesus to set you free from that lie. I don't know what it is. The Holy Spirit will show you. And out of that, you will become more free because the one thing I realize is this, that my words affect my neighbor so I better get my words right. 
And when I leave this building, I want my lips to be touched from the coal of heaven to purify my tongue. So the way I speak will be a blessing, not a curse. Now you may not even be a Christian. And probably the biggest lie you've learned is this. That God can't change your life. And the truth is, God can change not only your life and your heart, but he can change your tongue. He can change how you speak to people. He can change everything. Is that amazing? But we've got to let him do it. Let's pray together. Lord, right now as we're in your presence, as believers, Lord, we have a high standard to live by and that's a shocking truth. And Lord, I pray that you will help us in our own lives to deal with the lies that may enslave us. And we thank you that it's truth that sets us free. It's truth. Maybe for a moment, search your own heart. Search your own heart about the way you've been speaking about others. Search your own heart about the love of gossip. Search your own heart now. Maybe you sat there and you're not a Christian. You're thinking, I am so, I so need changing. You can receive Jesus as Savior right now. And the things I've spoken about, you can be transformed from the inside out. And your whole language and life and character will be the way that God Wants it to be. So right now, just pause. If you're not a Christian, or you need to get right with God, just say this prayer with me gently to yourself as a first step of devotion to Jesus. Asking him inside of your life by his spirit. Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, just whisper the prayer to yourself. I choose to give my whole life over to you. I choose to give my whole life over to you. And I ask you to forgive me. As you gave yourself for me upon the cross, I give myself to you. And I choose to make you Lord. Forgive me.
of my sins, I ask. Just for a moment, pause. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. I'd love to pray for you, not by name. I'm going to embarrass you. But you're coming back to Jesus. And you want Jesus to change your heart and your life. You're either becoming a Christian or you're getting right with God right now. If that's you, for a moment, just slip your hand up. By slipping your hand up, you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I give my life to Jesus right now. I hand it all over. God bless you. God bless. Slip your hand up and say, yeah. I hand it all over to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will touch our hearts and our lives and those that you've spoken to. And in our own lives, may we leave this gathering knowing that our words affect our neighbor and may we know the touch of coal on our words in Jesus' name. Amen.